Hoopaholics. Coach Spins here from the Box and One, releasing the audio version of Mock Draft 4.0, which is released just after the results of the 2023 NBA Draft Lottery. We'll be bringing you picks 1 through 30 here on the podcast feed. But if you want to see the video in full to get video with our explanations, as well as see who we picked in the second round, make sure you head on over to our YouTube channel. Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One coming to you on the heels of the draft lottery here, which saw, yes, the San Antonio Spurs vault all the way to the top to become the winners of the Victor Wembenyama sweepstakes. But that's not all that happened here on this Tuesday night, May 16th. What we also saw is the rest of the draft order shake out, particularly in those top five picks. So we're going to come at you here with Mock Draft 4.0, the first edition post-lottery. We can get you every single pick, breaking down the first round in depth, 1 through 30, and then scrolling through the second. As we mentioned at the top, the San Antonio Spurs won the 2023 draft lottery, and now they have the great fortune of being able to draft Victor Wembenyama, Seven foot four out of France, unbelievable defender, game changer. He just alters the gravity and the geometry of a court on the defensive end of the floor with how he protects the basket, dissuades shots, moves his feet in space on the perimeter. Just an unbelievable defensive prospect. And offensively, he has turned into a reliable top option. Great finisher at the basket, over 70% at the rim this year, which is very hard to do in professional European competition. Unbelievable growing Arsenal as a one-on-one scorer, particularly in that short post, mid-post area. He can dominate guys on the block. He's got turnaround jumpers and isolation situations. He really has great touch in the mid-range. He's working on expanding that out to three, both in terms of his isolation creation and -and catch-and-shoot ability. There have been so many tantalizing flashes from Wembenyama. He can do things that nobody else can on the floor. I think that he is really fortunate to land in San Antonio, an organization that is going to do a fantastic job developing him in the right way and surrounding him with great young talent that bring out his best skills. Charlotte Hornets ended up with the number two pick, and it actually gets pretty interesting here. There's a real debate between Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller out of Alabama that is brewing. I tend to go with the higher upside player and the guy who I tend to believe is the second best player in this draft class. That's Scoot Henderson out of the G League Ignite. Six foot two point guard, about a six nine wingspan, strong body, really huge hands, but last step and first step quickness, which allows him to consort, contort himself in traffic, maneuver and finish around different types of defenders. He projects as that high volume creator who's always playing with the ball in his hands, particularly out of the pick and roll. Incredibly creative in ways that he didn't necessarily show very consistently with the Ignite this year. He's a very good pull-up scorer in that mid-range area. He's got to work on expanding that range out to three a little bit more reliably, but he has started to add the ability to punish teams that go underneath ball screens or soft switch upon him and try to dare him to shoot. Scoot is a very underrated playmaker as well. Very good creating for others out of those ball screen situations, making the right decision with the ball in his hands, but he has every intangible that you would look for. I do believe that the Charlotte Hornets can find a way to have Scoot Henderson and LaMelo Ball coexist in the long term, particularly on the offensive end. I have some worries about it defensively, but more than anything, this is a a game changer for the culture of the franchise. Scoot is a winner in terms of how he carries himself and his work ethic. I think that that is something the Charlotte Hornets need above all.
The Portland Trailblazers moved up to the number three overall spot, and Brandon Miller is probably going to be the guy that they select here if Scoot goes number two. It's just a fascinating decision for the Blazers and what they're going to end up doing, whether they keep this pick, trade it, or what this means long-term for Damian Lillard. But let's talk about Miller here, because he is one of the top players in this draft class. A six-foot-nine shooter and sniper can do it off the bounce, as well as from catch-and-shoot areas. Really good passer, an underrated creator, defends at an adequate level, can rebound, doesn't have many holes in his game. He's not an explosive athlete. He's got to get a little bit better near the basket, but very, very skilled, good positional size, stretches defenses, can play on ball and off ball. A lot to like with Brandon Miller and his upside here in Portland. Fourth overall, we've got the Houston Rockets taking Amen Thompson out of that overtime elite program. This is an unbelievable fit here in Houston, if you ask me. Amen Thompson and Jalen Green would make for one of the most athletic backcourts of all time. Thompson's a six foot seven, essentially point guard, loves to operate with the ball in his hands, great in transition. One of the best vertical leapers you'll ever see. Unbelievable stop start athleticism, and really good at going from a standstill to a full out assault on the rim. He lives in the lane, and he's equipped with the ability to finish at the rim with either hand above or below the rim and make solid decisions creating for others once he gets into the lane. A lot is going to be made about Amen's lack of a jump shot right now. That's from three and from the mid-range area. But I think you bet on the natural tools and the intersection of those athletic traits and his playmaking. In Houston, he can be the number one option to create for others and play as a cutter off of Jalen Green and maybe even Alperin Shengun. This would be a fantastic fit for Houston. Detroit on the clock here at number five. Disappointing result for them to fall out of the top four, but Cam Whitmore is not a bad consolation prize. He fits pretty well next to Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey in transition. Whitmore, super athletic, loves to get up and run in the open floor, can put pressure on the rim. In AAU and in high school, he averaged probably one or two blocks a game. Six foot six wing athlete, super, super strong. Loves to be able to lower his shoulder, initiate contact, and stay balanced throughout, and has turned himself into a very smart cutter. He's also one of those guys who does have 20-point game potential in the NBA because he is developing a really good jump shot. He can get to the rim and maybe even to the free throw line, but he has started to become a good scorer in one-on-one -on -one settings. He's got to clean up his decision-making and creating for others, and he's got to learn how to make faster decisions with the ball in his hands. He is right now a lot more of a catch, survey, dribble, jab, isolate, go at guys one-on-one -on -one type of scorer. Playing off of Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey, he's got to be a faster decision maker, but I do believe there's a ton of upside for him on the offensive end of the floor while being a good fit as a slasher next to Cade and Jaden. At number six, I've got Asor Thompson here from the Overtime Elite Program. I've struggled with this for the Orlando Magic because they desperately need shooting. So I'm taking Asor Thompson here for two reasons. One, I do believe that he can be a an addition to this team with positional size where you can play him more as a one through three type of player and eventually trot out just massively long lineups that give the Magic a ton of defensive versatility. I also believe he's one of the best players available here. And as I talked about on a mock draft I did with Sam Vicini over the Game Theory podcast, I can see a lot of teams, particularly Utah at nine, 
trying to move their way up in this draft and get to six. And if you're Orlando and you need shooting and you can get that by moving down a few spots, I can definitely see them entertaining trade possibilities with this pick. Asor's a really good player, an Andre Iguodala-ish connector piece. Whether he's in Orlando or somebody else, he's got a sky-high defensive ceiling while bringing good playmaking tools to the table. Dream scenario for Indiana at 7 is to get their choice between Taylor Hendricks and Jairus Walker. And if it were me, I'd go with Taylor Hendricks. I think he's got a little bit more shooting and athletic upside to be able to guard on the perimeter in different ways and pairs a little bit better next to Miles Turner in their front court. Hendricks burst onto the scene this year after coming virtually out of nowhere. Not a high-heralded, one-and-done type of prospect coming into the season, but combined really efficient and consistent shooting from the perimeter with multi-positional and versatile defense. He's very good guarding at the point of attack, fluid hips. For guys about 6'9 or 6'10, he moves very naturally. And UCF let him play a little bit with the ball in his hands this year. I don't think that that's going to be a consistent part of his game at the next level, but it does show that there's upside for him to turn into a creator eventually as he starts to tighten his handle and just explore the space long term. But he has very good 3 and D type of ceiling, can space the floor on the perimeter, defend multiple positions, good weak side shot blocker at the four, and a good athlete who can catch and finish near the basket. Eight here for Washington, I've got Anthony Black, 6'7", point guard out of Arkansas. Essentially plays like a big point guard, but he's a very good athlete defensively. He's one of the best perimeter prospects I've scouted. Great activity, energy, and engagement level at the point of attack. Loves to hound smaller players in the full court. Really good at moving his feet and avoiding contact on screens. It doesn't hurt that he's a sensational help defender. Offensively, Black had a challenging year at Arkansas. He didn't play in a scheme that afforded him a ton of spacing, so he had to get a lot of his points both in transition and in just putting his head down and trying to go to the rim. He is an underrated athlete. While he doesn't have unreal length for his position, he is pretty quick and bursty off the floor while also being very strong when going to his right hand. Black's best offensive trait is his cerebral passing, put the ball in his hands and surround him with a bunch of shooters in the way that the Washington Wizards can, and he can be an early career contributor and one of the most high-value connective pieces you can find. At number nine, I've got Kaysen Wallace out of Kentucky. The Utah Jazz need some presence in their backcourt who can play a facilitating role while also Long-term, having the flexibility to fit next to future stars or really high-end draft picks that they're planning to bring in as they embark in a long-term rebuild. Kaysen Wallace has the on-ball, off-ball ability to be such a player while also being an unbelievable point-of-attack defender. That's by far his biggest skill. Six foot three or four, really, really strong and smart on that. And we mentioned the offensive versatility. He showed at the first half of the season he can be a reliable spot-up shooter. When playing more of the two-guard role in Kentucky's offense, he shot over 40% from three. As the year went on, he transitioned into an oddball role and actually finished the season with close to a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. I believe in Kentucky guards popping at the next level. Case and Wallace should be no exception. And he's a great culture fit in Utah at number 9. At 10th overall, the Dallas Mavericks do get what they covet if they decide to keep this pick, and that's a guy like Jairus Walker who can come in and be a rotational front court defender 
right away. Six foot seven, six eight, with over a seven foot wingspan. Really strong frame and well-rounded, versatile feel for the basketball. He's a good glue piece to have on offense because he can make plays out of the short roll. He can pick and roll. He can pick and pop, or he can spot up on the perimeter as he keeps developing his jump shot. But Jarris is a defender at heart. He guards kind of two through four, maybe threes and fours most off, and can play as your small ball five in late game situations. The Mavericks would definitely benefit from having somebody like him after the absence of Dorian Finney-Smith. Different type of athlete, different type of position that he guards, but they need somebody who is a bigger body, who can guard multiple spots and be a positive impact on the defensive end. To me, that is Jairus Walker down to a T. No secret what the Orlando Magic do here at number 11. It's Grady Dick, the sharpshooter out of Kansas. This is a team that desperately needs floor spacing. Grady Dick would make Paolo Bancaro's life so much easier running off of screens, sprinting the floor in transition, and being a gravity helper while he's standing on the perimeter. Dick has one of the fastest shots that I have seen. Really good. Does not need the ability to get a rhythm deep. He can raise straight from the catch when he catches it really high. Good off of movement screens like dribble handoffs or down screens, wide pin downs, things like that. Really opens up the playbook for a team. He's a smart cutter off ball and does have a little bit underrated athleticism. Now, he's going to be a heavily targeted defender at the next level. Six foot eight, he does have the effort and length to be able to hold his own in some regard, but not a terrible defender, just not a great one either. At 12, I've got the Oklahoma City Thunder taking Leonard Miller. This is more so about what type of player the Thunder tend to draft. They need a guy who's got great character and work ethic, who's got a rare combination of athleticism, positional size, and skill ability, and that's where Leonard Miller comes into play. He's really more of a four-man than anything else. Loves to be more of a slasher, get downhill, make plays with his left hand or his right at the rim. I have some real reservations and questions long-term about the shooting ability, but he can be an impactful defender, a versatile guy on offense who's used in a lot of different ways, and the sky is the limit for him. He's made a huge improvement over the last year. I think the Thunder tend to buy in on a lot of those types of guys. 13 here for Toronto, I'm going upside swinging with Gigi Jackson, one of the most polarizing, if not the most polarizing player in this entire draft class. Six foot nine, who should be a senior in high school, he came into South Carolina and played a huge role for them on the offensive end of the floor. There was so much about Jackson's game that proved he's not ready for that spotlight, let alone the NBA. Not a very good playmaker for others, really struggled on the defensive end, both in terms of engagement and an understanding what to do, but there's just no denying a guy who started the year as a 17-year-old playing in the SEC who showed the level of shot-making and one-on-one offense that Gigi Jackson did. Masai Ujiri loves to draft for size and skill. Gigi Jackson checks those boxes while also being a little bit of a different outside-the-box prospect. If the Raptors are leaning towards more of a reset button, then going with Jackson as a high-ceiling pick could make some sense. With the last pick in the lottery, I've got the New Orleans Pelicans taking Keontae George. This is a flexion point here in the draft. A lot of different ways New Orleans can go, and I think they will be receiving a lot of calls about maybe trading back or out of this draft entirely. But Keontae is one of those guys who, on my most recent rewatch, just struck me as too good of a player to drop too far down my board. True three-level scoring potential, uses both hands on the interior, strong body who likes to attack for contact, 
and is a little bit underrated of a playmaker. He struggled in a leading role this year at Baylor because he got so much attention from aggressive defenses. If he's more of a number three option or just a playmaker scorer off the bench, he's not going to have that same type of onus put on him from an opposing defense. And when he doesn't have that, he's actually a pretty smart and solid passer. Good catch-and-shoot guy with great pristine mechanics to play off-ball, which is always priority number one in New Orleans when you're talking about playing next to Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. I like the fit here. I think Keontae's got a lot of upside. If he can continue to keep his work ethic going and be a really strong guy who adds skill to his game as a lead guard, he's got a shot. 15 here for the Atlanta Hawks. So many different things that they either need or already have depth at. It's a weird roster situation in Atlanta, and they could be prime for a little bit of a reshaping moving forward this year or next year. So I'm just going with the best kind of player available. It's Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan. Love the fact that he can play on ball or off ball. Really emerged in the final two months of the season to carry the Michigan Wolverines on offense and looked very comfortable in a leading man role. I think as the third guard in their rotation, he can play off ball very effectively next to Trey Young. He can play on ball if you need him to be more of a creator. He finished over 70% of his attempts at the rim this year, which is absurd for a 6'4 guard. Long and competes on the defensive end. I just really like him being that guy who comes off the bench for Atlanta, makes a lot of right decisions, can blend into whatever role they're asking him to be, and does have a ton of upside to evolve into more down the line if they need to make couple other moves with DeJounte Murray or Trey Young. Sixteen, the Jazz are on the clock again. I'm going upside swinging once more. Derek Whitehead here out of Duke, six foot six wing, who was one of my favorite players when he was coming out of high school. Just seemed to have lost a step athletically after multiple foot surgeries this year. He just underwent his second and is going to be out of action probably through the summer. So not a lot of workout periods for Whitehead. Teams are going to have to go off of his high school tape and limited film that he showed at Duke. And while he was a Blue Devil this year, really good from behind the arc. One of the more consistent catch-and-shoot guys in the nation, high fluid release, and he has shown in the past a lot of self-creation ability, much more in the mid-range than he is at getting to the rim. And he's still a little bit of a mess on the defensive end of the floor. But a lot of offensive upside here for a team in Utah that has three first-round picks and a long-term outlook to be patient with a draft pick like Whitehead. 'll LeBron James-led team loves guys who have winning championship experience. He's drafted guys from UConn before on his teams and really advocated for them. I can see the same happening here to Jordan Hawkins if he's still around at number 17. Coming off of a national championship win, Hawkins was constantly in motion for the Huskies this year. One of the best movement shooters, if not the best movement shooter in this entire draft class. Really fluid hips, quick release, and once he gets hot, forget about it. He's impossible to try to cool down. I have some questions about Hawkins on the defensive end of the floor, even though he does provide really good effort. And I have more questions about what he can provide you if he's not catching and shooting on offense. He has his flaws as a prospect, but we have seen the value he brings to a creative coach and a really good team that utilizes him the right way. I think the Lakers would benefit from his floor spacing in the immediate term. 18 for the Miami Heat, going with Nick Smith, the combo guard out of Arkansas. He started the year as a top 10 guy on my board. Some injuries and questions about his defensive consistency have cooled him down. 
but there's no doubt about it. He's going to be one of the smoother scorers that you will find in this draft class. Six foot five combo guard, real wiry length to him. Creative on ball and off ball. Does have some flashes of decent IQ, but not a very bursty athlete. That said, Smith did struggle with a lot of injuries this year. It limited him to a shortened sample size of games and a lot of moments where he just didn't look like himself out there in the ways that we saw him in high school. So like Derek Whitehead, another one of those evaluations that's going to be heavily dependent on the high school film and how projectable teams feel his health is going to be. I think Smith is a great kid. He wants to continue to work hard, get better. The Miami Heat love guys who can play on ball and off ball and are decent decision makers. If Smith can sharpen up some of his passing IQ, he'd be a great fit here in Miami. Golden State, a really tough team to try to draft for because you never know if they're going to try to go with that two timelines business or get somebody that can help out right away. Bilal Koulibaly from Metropolitans and one of Victor Weminyama's teammates just strikes me as a really good high upside pick for them on the wing. Six foot five, really toolsy athlete. Again, more so one of the best high upside guys available as opposed to that instant impact contributor. It's probably likely Koulibaly doesn't even come over to the NBA right now, but I do think that's a valuable trade chip and asset for the Warriors to have moving into the offseason and potentially next season as they try to add a little bit more juice to get back to the NBA Finals next year. Derek Lively could go as high as number 10 to the Dallas Mavericks. For him to fall all the way to Houston, number 20 is a huge win for the Rockets. They need a rim-protecting specialist. Lively and Alperin Shengun could play offense for defense for each other, locking down that five-man spot. Seven foot one with a seven-seven wingspan. Lively made huge strides during his freshman season to become one of the most, if not the most, impactful rim protectors in all of college basketball. He put those skills on full display in the NCAA tournament, almost single-handedly locking down Oral Roberts in the first half of their first-round game. Offensively is where Lively is a questionable fit, particularly after already taking Amen Thompson, a non-shooter, with the fourth overall pick in this mock draft. Lively needs every scoring opportunity for him gift-wrapped at the rim. He is quick and bursty in pick-and-roll and catch-and-finish situations, but he doesn't offer much beyond that. There's a lot of defensive upside to Lively if you can make it work on offense. Back-to-back -back picks here for the Brooklyn Nets. So at 21, we're going to take Jet Howard out of Michigan, six foot eight shooter, and just a guy who I haven't been overwhelmingly high on over the last few months due to some of the athletic concerns that I have. I don't think he moves very well in space and doesn't put enough pressure on the rim. But there is no denying the jump shot. When he is hot, he can be really a game-changer, great in spot-up situations, Great creating his own in the mid-range and awesome moving off screen. So the versatility he brings as a shot maker is really important for a team's playbook and in flanking their stars. Now, Howard did show a little bit of playmaking as a secondary pick and roll type of guy, second side creator. I think he's going to need dribble handoffs or things that allow him to get in motion pre-catch to unlock a lot of those skills. And I do worry about him on defense, but at this point, this is a solid value pick for Brooklyn. Following him up, though, is the guy that they really need. More of a number one option, potentially, Jalen hood Shafino out of Indiana. Six-foot-five point guard with about a 6'9", 6'10", wingspan. Very good defender at the point of attack. 
He loves to be a high-volume creator on offense out of ball screens. So where the Brooklyn Nets fell short during the postseason this year was simply in not having a guy who can live in the lane and make the right decision time and time again. That's what Jalen Huchifino specializes at. He's not an elite athlete. He relies more on craft and his size to bully guys to get to his spots. But once he gets there, he rewards himself and his teammates by just making the right play time and time again. I think this would be a good fit both short-term and long-term in Brooklyn as they are trying to figure out what the next steps are for this roster. I love his mental makeup. I love how unflappable he is in pressure situations. Just a big fan of Jalen Huchifino. Twenty-three with Portland back on the clock. They took Brandon Miller earlier. I'm going with one of his teammates in Noah Clowney. I know the Portland Trailblazers are in that weird spot with what to do with Damian Lillard, but I love the idea of having Clowney and Miller together once again because of the positional versatility. It can give the Blazers in the front court can play them together at the three and the four or at the four and the five. Clowney, very young, very raw. Not an idealized version of who he needs to be on either end of the floor. Defensively, rim protection, athleticism, the ability to guard on the perimeter in short spurts. Offensively, one of the more fluid shooting guys who's 6'10 or taller, loves to hang out in the corners and space the floor. Those are two really valuable traits in the NBA. I wouldn't be surprised to see Clowney's name continue to climb as we get closer to draft day, but if he's still around at 23, I think this makes a lot of sense for the Blazers long term. It almost feels too good to be true. A Murray Twins reunion in Sacramento. Chris Murray going 24 here to play with his twin brother Keegan once again. Murray does fit kind of what the Kings need right now, which is another bigger bodied wing who can come in and play solid defense and just space the floor effectively around De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis. What they lacked during their first round series against the Golden State Warriors were enough guys who could play both the offensive role that they need and be positive on the defensive end of the floor with size. Murray is not a great athlete. He has his limitations inside the arc, even on the defensive end, but he's very smart, knows who he is, and will knock down shots at a very high clip. I'd love to see Chris reunited with his brother in Sacramento. Another guy who could rise up draft boards late, Bobby Clintman out of Wake Forest. He's kind of this class's man of mystery. Not an international guy in terms of where he played last year, but he is from Sweden and showed different things on the floor playing with the Swedish national team than he did this year at Wake Forest. With the Demon Deacons, much more of a spot-up threat. Catch and shoot on the offensive end. Played more of a point-forward transition mismatch handler with that Swedish team. The combination of those traits at his size of about 6'9 or 6'10, is very intriguing for first-round teams. I think there's a lot to clean up for Clintman on the defensive end of the floor. I worry about his feet and how quick he is at creating separation, but he adds positional size, shooting field to play off ball, and a lot of untapped upside. He screams a fir late first-round promise to me, and that's where having him here in Memphis, a team that could use a little bit more juice on the wings, does make a little bit of sense. Twenty-six. I've got Bryce Sensabaugh. I keep fluctuating on what to do with this guy. He's got a really wide range of outcomes on draft night because there's so many different things that you could critique about his game. He's about a six-five, maybe six-six, strong-bodied scorer with three-level potential and really good shooting ability, both off the catch and off the dribble, even behind the three-point line. He likes to isolate and score a little bit more 
in the mid-range area when he's got the ball in his hands, and he's not a very quick decision maker. But with his physical frame, the ability to be a solid finisher at the basket, and how he does draw fouls at a decently high rate, you see the three-level scoring upside for a guy like Sensabaugh. Unfortunately for him, he is a mess right now defensively. There's so much that he needs to clean up in order to gain his way into the rotation. I can see him falling a little bit on draft night towards the end of the first round. He's got lottery talent and upside, and it wouldn't be surprising to see him go as high as 14 to New Orleans, but because there's so much to work on, he's got a wide range of outcomes, which is why I have him falling all the way down here to 26. Apparently, I'm doing a lot of the teammate thing tonight. After taking Scoot Henderson at number two, I've got Charlotte going with C.D. Sissoko at 27th overall. Maybe a tertiary handler for them in the half court offensively. Grew up playing more of a point guard role. Six foot six, really strong bodied athlete. Decent slasher and cutter off the ball. But what I love most about Sissoko, his intensity and the intangibles he brings to the table. Really competes his ass off on the defensive end. The Hornets desperately need some guys who can play the three or the four, that multi-positional front court piece who love to defend best players on the other team. Sissoko's jump shot made some strides this year. It's got a long way to go, but if he can be a reliable shooter, he's going to be a very good NBA role player. Third pick of the first round for the Utah Jazz. I'm going draft and stash here. It's Rayon Rupert from the New Zealand Breakers. About six foot six with a 7'2 wingspan. Uses every inch of that length on the defensive end of the floor to disrupt opposing ball handlers. Loves to get in and pressure while cross-matching and guarding the one. He grew up playing more of a point guard spot on the offensive end of the floor. As a result, he's a little bit behind as a jump shooter. He's got a long ways to go in finding any sort of offensive impact. He's not quite good enough creating for himself or for others, and he's not a consistent catch-and-shoot threat. But there's little pieces of evidence of him being able to do either. So his development over the next few years is going to be really key to seeing what type of role player he is, particularly knowing he can have a massive impact on the defensive end of the floor. Taylor Hendricks and Bryce Sensabaugh a little bit earlier for Indiana. We're going with another wing here with high upside in Max Lewis out of Pepperdine. If one of Lewis or Sensabaugh hits to their max ability, the Indiana Pacers are getting an absolute steal and another really good scorer on the wings. Lewis played a number one option this year for Pepperdine and came out of the gates of the season swinging, showing both his athleticism with a runway and ability to create for himself on offense. I believe Lewis's best skill on the offensive end of the floor at the next level is going to be his catch-and-shoot ability. Six-foot-six wing with about a seven-foot wingspan. He's got a smooth, very high release, and if he's getting a lot of easy shots generated for him, I think he's going to become a lot more efficient of a player. Where Lewis struggled and started to fall off down the stretch of the season was when teams played him a little bit more tightly on the perimeter and tried to turn him into a passer. It's not something he's got a great feel for right now, but if he can develop that skill over the long term, there is a lot of self-creation upside that Lewis brings to the table. With the last pick in the first round, I've got the Los Angeles Clippers taking Colby Jones out of Xavier, six foot four, six five guard with good strength and decent length. He's turned into a very reliable catch and shoot threat over the last year. Very simple game, and he's a smart offensive player too. Elite runner in the mid range, 
good processor of the game when he can play at his speed. So there's a lot to like about him on the offensive end of the floor. Not an elite athlete, doesn't put a lot of pressure on the rim, and needs to handle ball pressure And when guys athletically try to get into him a little bit more. Just not a really creative live dribble type of guy, but really smart within schemes and actions that he can play in. Defensively, I actually really like Jones. I see positional versatility to guard one through three a little bit, maybe less against those elite athletes at the NBA level, but some bigger ones he can hold his own against. This is a role player extraordinaire who should come in on a playoff aspirational team like the Clippers and be at least around the rotation from year one, which is not something you can always find at the later part of the first round.